Hello again, friends, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of My Life in Miniatures, the show uh, brought to you by me, John Ashton, from heresyandheroes.com, where I talk to a guest each week about the miniatures that have shaped their life and career in the hobby. Um, and today on the show, we've got an old friend of mine, uh, Bobby. She's um, Violet Sun Props on Twitter, but I'll be telling you a bit more about her later. Uh, and you've got plenty to look forward to with this podcast. Um, it's been a hot one. Uh, it's been a very hot week here in the UK. Uh, for listeners uh, not in the UK, uh, I can tell you that we smashed all of our temperature records because of global warming. And no, there's no debate on um, what that is and why it's happening. It's definitely happening. Um, we're part of the problem. Get over it. Um Sorry, I don't mean to be combative, combative about it straight off the bat, but um, I, it's just the amount of people in the press at the moment going, oh, it's not, it's perfectly natural, it happened in the 1970s, and like, no, it, it is different, and we are the problem, and you know, anyway. Uh, I'm not going to get into a political rant, because it's a show about miniatures, um, but it was incredibly hot, it was too hot to paint here in the UK, and um, we don't have in the UK a lot of air conditioning um because it's never normally that hot so we never need it um but yeah it's um it's warm it's been warm uh, and so I didn't get much painting done and in fact was having kind of a problem getting painting done anyway because I just I sort of felt like it, well I still kind of feel a little bit like I don't really have a purpose to paint stuff at the moment you know, I think sometimes when you're painting and you, you you really need a driving force behind it. And I'm not working on any armies at the moment. I could. At the beginning of the year, I promised I would paint a Nurgle army for Age of Sigmar. And I have done approximately one model for it. Um, I said I was going to have it done by June, um, along with a Blood Angels army. That didn't happen either. But I'm, I'm not in the mood for army painting at the moment anyway. So I've been looking at other stuff to do and I'm trying to encourage friends to sort of like, let's do a thing, let's let's do some Warcry or Kill Team or, you know, let's do some um, Badges and Burrows or something a, a bit different to sort of kick me into gear. And um, it hasn't really been happening. And so, and I, uh, obviously, Golden Demon in the UK is going to happen in October. And uh, there isn't really enough time for me to be starting a big new project for that either. Um, so it's kind of, I just felt like I didn't have much to do. And so over on heresyandheroes.com, I posted up a, something last week about, it was 10, or well, technically 11, uh, of the projects that are sort of in my to-do pile that I've started on you know, I've made a start, I've started painting them, and then I've just sort of given up. Um, and there's plenty on there that I could be getting to work with, but I still, I just didn't want to do it. I just did not want to do it. And so I thought, well, I need to give myself a purpose for this then. If it's not going to be for a competition, if it's not going to be for a game, what can I, what can I do for me? And then I had a little thought, and it's turned out to be quite successful for me. Um, it was all an issue of scale. Um, I traditionally work on heroic scale stuff, you know, 28 millimeter plus or whatever, we, whatever we want to call what Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000 are at the moment. Um, that's what I typically work on. So I thought, well, let's do some different stuff. So I've got something that's at a smaller 
uh, it's about five millimeter scale, and I've got something that's I think around fifty six millimeter scale or whatever that number is. Never really. Well, I've worked on epic stuff before, um, but not much. And um, I've never worked in a larger scale than thirty millimeter or um, heroic scale. And so yeah, I'm having fun with it, and I'm also. I'm doing it a bit privately. I'm I'm trying to keep the pressure off myself, right? I'm just when I have a moment, I get on with it and I do it quietly and I do it to myself and I'm not posting anything about it yet. I will. I will, I promise you. There will be posts on heresyandheroes.com. There will be posts on at Heresy Heroes Twitter, uh, which is me. And also me is my life in miniatures on uh, Instagram, which you can find, which is my underscore life underscore blah blah. Um but they will come out one day. Um, but for the time being, I'm keeping them to myself because just no pressure, just having fun. And the purpose is that I'm teaching myself some different techniques and tricks for working at different scales. And I'm happy with that. That works great for me. Um, what also works great for me is, uh, recording this podcast because it always gives me a reason to get up and actually do something with my lazy days. And, uh, today we have got a great guest. Um, she's one of my favorite people in the hobby. Um, Bobby, is part of the famed Hate Club, that's the Hackney Area Tabletop Enthusiast Club, um, uh, which I am, uh, I used to belong to. I think I still belong to. I don't think you can leave, really. Um, not that I want to. But uh, if you go back to season one, we had Sasha and we had Monk. They're also very much um, Hate Club people. Um, and Bobby is as well. Um, she is uh, relentless in her output of miniatures. And uh, we're going to be talking about some of her faves today and some of the ones that have been important to her. Uh, if you want to go and uh, find out who I'm talking to, you can go to Twitter and search for Violet Sun Props. That's all one word. Um, and even better, you can go to her relatively new, um, and I think it's a bit of an undiscovered gem, YouTube channel, which is uh, Violet Sun. So that's V-I-O-L-E-T-S-U-N. Um Violet Sun on YouTube, where she does these on-sprue reviews, which are really informative and really well put together, and I, I very much recommend um, you go there, give her a follow, um, and you'll see some cool stuff. And also, we talk about it a bit uh, when we have our chat, which is coming up in just a moment. Uh, she has been a contributor to Arbiter Ian's channel uh, on YouTube as well, where she regularly takes part in Tale of Four Gamers um, or Tale of Four Warlords uh, campaigns. So yeah, um, I think I've got nothing else to tell you except that I hope you enjoy this. I hope you're all ready with your clippers and your glue and your paints and your pots and uh, your brushes and you're going to do some nice hobby while we keep you comp company for the next hour and a bit. Um, yeah, that's all from me. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Bobby Bobby, hello. How are you? Hiya, John. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing good. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Um, yes, lovely to have you on the show. Uh, it's always good to have a, a fellow Hate Club uh, member uh, on on the podcast. Um, it takes me back to fun times in London. Um, or... Another one of the quite regional members of Hate that you know you live a little bit out of Hackney. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, yes, as am I. Nottingham is about as far from Hackney as um, I'm prepared to go, to be to be absolutely honest. Um, well, thank you for joining us to talk to you about uh, your life in miniatures. 
and we're going to start off. Um, I'm, I'm going to spoil this to the uh, for the for the listeners at home. We just had a conversation about your first miniature, and yeah, um, a little brief one. Yeah, yeah. I am delighted that uh, you have uh, chosen what I truly believe is uh, m- many people, especially of my age, uh, but I think of lots of ages, their true first gateway into uh, miniature painting. Um, tell me about your airfix red arrow so yeah i i i'm kind of a, a second generation hobbyist so uh, i grew up um around my dad having his model railway that's fr- from a very young age and you know these dusty old boxes of airfix tanks and yeah and miniatures paints and that kind of stuff was all kind of always there in the background so obviously I did what any good kid does and wants to you know, imitate their parents in, in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, when I, I, I got around to the, the tender age of five years old, um, I was with my dad in one of the, one of the hobby stores in, in town. Um, I can't remember what he was picking up, but you know, I, I kind of picked pick myself up a kit and, uh, uh, you know, asked my dad, can I have a go? Can I have a go? <laughs> so, of course, he, you know, he, he jumped to that chance. Uh, I can't say I built the entire kit myself at five. Had no, quite no a lot of, Had quite a lot of supervision, obviously, because of sharp tools and small children do not go together. Um, That's fun. Lots of lessons get learned that way. Well, yeah, but some of them are quite permanent lessons at, at that age. That's true. So, yeah, um, uh, that was that was my entry into the hobby world was was building this airfix model and didn't it didn't actually get painted which uh might be a bit of a a, a, a sin for this this podcast no that's all right it's we're, we're looking for your gateway in that was uh yeah yeah it's not quite up to the slayer sword winning levels of painting it was just the red plastic with the the transfers applied directly on top yeah. um but i was proud of it and i think that's um, so what everyone goes for with their hobby is, is to end up with something that when you look at it, you think, ah, oh, I, I, I did all right then. I, I, you know, that, that looks okay. Yeah, that's very true. It's one of the nicest feelings when you just complete something and you're just, you're just happy with it. Like you say, you're proud of it. And it's, uh, I think in our, in our day-to-day lives, we don't, uh, many of us don't always get the opportunity to feel proud every day but uh being able to come home and and glue something together and put some paint on something and you feel good about it i think that's a nice a nice advert for the hobby yeah and especially as it it can often be i mean obviously with uh modern kits it's not entirely your solo achievement because other people have gone into designing designing the kit designing the paint range it's a collaborative thing but you putting that finishing touch of getting all the bits together and um, really, you know, finishing something and having something you can hold in your hand to say that I did is is quite a nice thing, having that sort of tangible connection with, uh, you know, the art you've created. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And it's also, I think Airfix is a great way that uh, you can usually blame your dad for all the money you spend on Games Workshop these days because... My dad did it as well. He got me a, I think it was uh, it was a World War II plane, I, uh, probably an, an, a British one. I can't remember which one. 
and some uh, little humbrol paints. And I was like, there you go. That'll keep you occupied. And years later, I could be like, hey, dad, it's all your fault. <laughs> it's, this this obsession is all down to you. Yeah. You've, yeah. A parent might think it's going to keep you quiet for five minutes and it ends up being your hobby for the rest of your life. Um, yeah. Which did end up keeping you quiet for quite some time. So thank you. I think it works out. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, He got, I don't know, 25 minutes of peace and quiet back then for a lifetime of hearing me talk about Space Marines. So um <laughs> And that brings us on to, I suppose, when did you first find Games Workshop? So it, it kind of always been um, in the back of my head. In the town I grew up, the Games Workshop was it kind of upstairs in a shopping centre. Yes. So it was this weird little shop upstairs hidden away from everything else. Um, and I obviously I was kind of more aware of kind of the the airfix side, that kind of scale model side of um, the war games hobby. Although my dad had done war gaming as well. So he had war games rule books and stuff, which I looked through as a kid. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just kind of, one day when I was wandering around the shopping center on my own, uh, you know, with some friends, as you do, uh, unsupervised by parents, I wandered up to the games workshop and had a look what the deal was, you know, what what is this? miniatures hobby thing mm -hmm. um of course there are very enthusiastic members of staff on hand to show me what was what and uh, this is when they were hand handing out the kind of um thin hobby guides that was you know a few pages of these are the miniatures that are available the yeah. nice heavy metal pages and i think the one that i picked up first had um a, a very very simple slan versus bretonian scenario just a, a single source warrior against a bretonian archer and just kind of took you through the concept of rolling dice and and playing this kind of game yeah um and yeah from from having that freebie take this home and you know have a think about it because i didn't have the money to buy models on, on me as a as a kid at that age very um, good I ended up, uh, you know, getting into the hobby. I, I bought my first box of um, Space Marines. It was the, the box of the um, six Space Marines with the, the heads and the torsos as a single piece. Oh, yeah. The kind yeah. of the early, very early um, monopose, uh, well, the early multi-pose version of the second edition Space Marines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, that really, that was, that was me getting started in, in King's Workshop and I haven't really stopped since then. That was sort of late nineties and I'm still going. So. Well, well done. Well done. Um, yeah. So let's, let's move on to um, your first Games Workshop miniature that we've got to talk about on this list. Um, uh, tell me about your Ultramarine Captain. So this was the very first character miniature I painted. I'd had a few regular Space Marines, and I think I'd bought a, a bike beforehand. Yeah. Um, because bikes were cool. Um, but yeah, the the classic Jez Goodwin range of captains from I think '94. I think those originally were released. Um. Yeah. Yes. I think it was about that time. Yes. And we're talking about the the Ultramarine captain who's got sort of pointing with his sword, uh, with his sort of sideways mohawk. Um, yeah. The, the real glass. like. Yeah. The real Roman styled 
plasma pistol and very very short power sword um yeah, yeah the which is actually a really ornate sculpt the artist for army he has with all the like hammered inlaid detail yeah it's it's a fantastic piece of sculpture uh, i think and it's still one of my favorite models i i, I still have it on my shelf to look at say that still gives me that feeling of uh, I accomplished something. Obviously, I can see it's just painted with flat colors. There's no highlights. There's no washes. I didn't know about doing any of that at that point. Yeah. And I didn't even follow inside the lines particularly carefully. It's, it's, if you look carefully, there's, there's some pretty horrific brush. Uh, there's pretty horrific brush slips. But it still makes me happy to look at it. Well, that's the important thing. Yeah, I mean, we've we've got those. I mean, uh, I think I mentioned this on another podcast in season one, but uh, years and years ago, I took one of those second edition plastic space marines, and um, I was about I don't know nine. Didn't have any money for my mom's birthday, so I made loads of things. And one of the things I made, well, well made, I painted her a little space marine. Years later, she gave it back to me. She's like, do you want it? And I was like, well, it was a gift. And she's like, yeah, but what am I going to do with it? So I was like, well, go on then. And I, I, and then I repainted another Space Marine like that one. But yes, going back and looking at it now, it's like, oh, yes, there's um, some fantastic dexterity on display right there. There's, um, uh, I was probably using a brush with, it was probably an inch wide at the at the tip of the bristles and, uh, there were poster paints and enamel paints, and uh, I think there were a couple of Citadel paints, but there was no undercoat, I can tell you that. Um, yeah. and the base was just painted green. Um, but, you know, back then, uh, I was actually kind of happy with it. I was quite proud of it. And it's nice to have it still today, I think. Yeah, it's, it's again, I say, it's it was at the time kind of the pinnacle of where I'd got to with painting. I, I, that I only painted about a dozen miniatures beforehand but I felt at that point that I leveled up and this was the best thing I would you know the best thing I'd ever done and uh, I think that's important to kind of remember those milestones in your hobby of where you get that feeling and why why you want to keep improving to keep getting that feeling even if it's a even starts to become quite incremental and there's always that kind of room to think ah oh, yeah i've done this this one thing on this model is better than i've ever done yeah and that's a, a i mean it's it's a good feeling it's a very good feeling and and yes you used a good phrase there leveling up because there are definitely those miniatures that whether you're striving to be a, a great painter or you're just you know quite happy going along as an army painter i think it's there are those miniatures where you just look at them when you're done and go yeah that was that's the best thing I've done then you know and often we try and kick on from there but yeah you're right that we should um immortalize them and memorize uh, not memorize um memorialize that's it uh memorialize those those miniatures um but yeah so I mean I've got to ask just because you know I, I ask everyone who makes this bizarre choice um why why ultramarines I really don't know I I just think because they were the ones on the box and I'd got so used to the airfix mentality of paint it like what's on the box that yeah. I just carried that on when I started Warhammer. Fair enough. 
and I still kind of do that in some ways. I, I do really like painting the box guys. It's a bit of an odd one. Yeah, it's a nice way to do it. Yeah, but no, I think that works. It's it's uh, it's a good way to do it. I'm still. I one day I'm going to hunt down that heavy metal painter who proposed everything was made of ultramarines. But um, I've got to work out who it is first. But it was it was a bit of a weird era because there were quite a few. You'd get the Blood Angel squad that would have the t- one or two Blood Angels specific miniatures, and most of them would still be the same Space Marines. And the Dark Angels squad, which would, you know, it was pretty much just a different sergeant yeah. with the Metal Marines anyway. Yeah. Um, so there there were a chance there was a chance that I could have collected one of the other chapters, but they would just happen to be Ultramarines. Happened to be them. Oh well. Um, and of course, with you, and I know this having played uh, several games against you in the past, um, this uh, early fascination with uh, people in power armor um, has led to more than a couple of armies, shall we say, when it comes to space marines. Yeah, um, I have got quite a few space marine armies. Uh, I'm not sure what it is about them. I think they're just a really good design. I think yeah. whatever weird combination of design elements that just happened, I mean, let's be fair, that there are quite a few really good designers went into the early stages of the Space Marines. Yeah. Um, and really good sculptors as well. Well, yeah, concept designers, sculptors. And I think then just Jez Goodwin coming in and taking all of those elements and really refining them it just ended up with a really good design. It's it it's not it's not even necessarily the most practical set of armor. I think Ooh. it's um, from f- from the number of people I've seen cosplaying as Space Marines and just being really, uh, you can barely move in that armor in in a realistic sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's still it looks really cool. It's really iconic and. It's got the you know the big shoulders, the big chunky legs. It looks imposing. I think even compared to other franchises, iconic you know the Star Wars stormtroopers, they look menacing, but they don't look as imposing as a space marine. No, in fact, it's it's always very funny. Um, it usually happens at salute where you're walking around. There's well for years. I don't obviously with recent pandemics, it's, it's been less visible, but. For years, there was a guy who would turn up um, in his Blood Angels outfit on his stilt. So, you know, he's about eight and a half feet tall. And um, I always remember his his partner would follow him around. She was dressed as a, a guardswoman and was spent most of her time sort of pouring water on his head or um, giving him a straw to drink through because he was getting rather hot. And but, just make uh, sure he doesn't, like, trip over any small children and just obliterate them. Exactly, yes. But... There was always uh, people at Salute dressed as Stormtroopers and Darth Vader, and I remember being present as they sort of rounded a corner and came face to face with each other, and it was like, yeah, Space Marine would destroy a Stormtrooper. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much, happy. yeah. They're, they're just, I mean, ridiculous, and, you know, everything turned up to 11 on purpose. Mm-hmm. Is, it, I mean, as much in the Warhammer 40,000 universe is just ridiculous for ridiculous sake um but i I think that's kind of the charm of them is that they are so absolutely uh, (laughs) insane they are um yes and of course i know uh and people will be able to find on your social medias various pictures of 
your painted uh what have you got brazen claws nova marines uh, uh no not brazen claws i've got um ultramarines some... crimson fists yeah space wolves space... What are the um, ones? storm lords storm lords that's the one yeah and yeah, no, my Nova Marines project that I've got going on, um, Mortifactors, obviously. Of course. Um, and that's, I think that's all of the loyalists, other than obviously the new Imperial Fist I'm painting for Heresy. Of course, of course. Well, yes, we'll, we'll get on to some of your more Yeah, yeah. Let, shall we, I won't do too many spoilers on, <laughs> on what we're speaking about, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but... As well as uh, your enjoyment of loyalist space marines, I also happen to know you have quite an enjoyment of heretical space marines, which, um, well done. That's uh, that's always a plus in my books. Uh, so let's move on to your next um, your next miniature that we're going to talk about. Tell me about your Fabius Bile. Yeah, Fabius Bile. Um, this is quite a big time jump. I started this miniature quite recently compared to the Ultramarines Captain, uh, although the core of it is still the kind of second edition Jez Goodwin sculpt of Fabius Bile. It's not the new sculpt. I started this conversion about a year before the new one was released. Yeah, yeah. So and it's a good trick. If you want a new miniature or something, put a load of effort into converting and painting one yourself, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd I'd not even started painting it before the new one was released. It did take me a while to get around to painting him. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a pretty heavy conversion. Um, it's made from, as say, the original Fabius Bile, but it also has parts from the Primaris um, Apothecary and Primaris Chaplain and quite a lot of sculpting. I think I think it was something like 40 or 50 parts in this conversion because all the arms are like three or four pieces. The the legs are chopped about. The the cloak pieces. It's it. The backpack. I replaced a lot of the details on yeah. because a lot of the um, Primaris apothecaries backpack um, bits and pieces are very very similar to Fabius Biles. I wonder mm. what that's about. Yeah, indeed. But so why why Fabius? Why that? Why him as a character? Well, I have to say it's entirely Josh Reynolds' fault. Uh, his um, trilogy of Fabius Bile novels were just too good for me to not want to make. His uh, consortium of apothecaries and, of course, you got to have the leader of the of the group. Of course, Fabulous Bill. Yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's a monster, but he's quite, a, <laughs> in those books at least, a well-written monster. He has... Really good reasons for all the horrific stuff he does. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you say good reasons. Uh, he, he has um, reasons that are important to him. Yeah, and he's still just about the only one who's holding to the imperial truth by, by that point. Like, it, even, you know, the Imperium's given up on that and started worshipping the Emperor as a deity, but he's still holding to this whole, there's no gods, the, these warp things, they're not real creatures. They're just, you know, apparitions. They're, they're, they're not even sentient. They're just reflections, which we know from our point of view outside the universe is kind of kind of the truth. But he's so, you know, resolute on this, fo- following the imperial truth still. 
even though he's now doing some pretty pretty uh, horrifically bad things to people and aliens of all kinds um, to kind of further his his vision of how humanity should persevere in the universe. Yes, it's it's a very um, strong definition of uh, brutal truth. Well, well he, he's a fanatic, but he's, he's a fanatic for science rather than a fanatic for a religion, yeah. uh, which I think is an interesting... It's an interesting character to have in, in Warhammer. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that, yes. And, and how did you find... Because, I mean, converting uh, something like that, and um, I do... Uh, recommend listeners go and find a picture of uh, Bobby's Fabius file. Um, but converting it is only half the battle. How did you find painting it? Um, I didn't actually find painting it too hard, even though I, I mean, this is, I kind of picked out this model and this, the Emperor's Children I did with him um, because it was really another one of those points. I'd, I'd come back to the hobby at the start of 8th edition. Well, come back to Games Workshop in particular at the start of 8th edition 40K. Yeah. And I'd started painting again, and I'd painting okay. Like, a lot of, you know, the, I had the, the Space Marines and the Death Guard from the start set, and they were looking all right. Yeah. Um, but when I came to this army, I was like, right. It's a really complicated color scheme. I want to do purple and gold and pink and black all on the same model, which is a, a mess of a riot of colors to do yeah. that. To you know, to get that right is a lot of work. Um, so I just tried really hard. I just put a lot of time and effort and thought into it, and even to the point where I'm thinking about you know, I've used like neon green a lot on these models, and I was like. I actually looked at a color wheel for once to look at what I should be using for my spot highlights rather than just sort of picking a color at random. Um, and some of the first time I did like um, power swords using, you know, wet blending and all sorts of techniques that, you know, I'd seen other people doing for, at that point, decades. Um, yeah. But I, it, was, it was me really trying to do better, just really really wanting to do well because I had this inspiration from the novels that I, you know, I really wanted a force that looked cool. Um, yeah, I just, just put in a hell of a lot of effort to try and get them to look as good as I, I could. Yes, and well, it shows, and you've done both Fabius and Josh Reynolds very proud, I think, with that miniature. It's It looks lovely. Um, let's move away from uh, the scientific fanatic and... Uh, tell me a bit about your next miniature, Mordecai Blaylock. Ah, so this I had to include in this list um, because it was the first time we collaborated on he your Heresy and Heroes website. You very kindly invited me to come in for the Heresy versus Heroes um, competition where you yes. have people come on and each convert a miniature and paint it up, um, which I thought was really fun. Uh, yeah. I really enjoyed doing it, and I, I had the stipulation that it had to be old hammer. Yep. Um, yeah. So that that that's what we did. We did old hammer figures. We did, and, and rather coincidentally, you did an Empress Children figure. Um, uh, yes, I did. Yes, um, I'm trying to think. What did I do now? It was the the Jez Goodwin kind of mono pose uh, uh, 
Empress Shield oh, Marine yeah, with a, with a bolt gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, of course. Wow, yes. I, I'll tell you why I misplaced that in my memory. It's because <laughs> I've misplaced that miniature somewhere in my hobby room, and I don't exactly know where. Um, ah. He was he was on a shelf, and then now he's not on a shelf. So um, I haven't seen him in a little while. But I'm going. He's he snuck off somewhere. Well, they Emperor Children. You can't keep your fingers on them. Um, yes, but I'll have to go and hunt him down and see if I can put him back somewhere um but yes no that yes so uh you did mordecai blaylock so yes tell me tell me more about that so yeah mordecai blaylock is the first company captain for the nova marines um and i just wanted to have a go at back in the kind of that second edition third edition era converting your own characters was such a big thing and it was something that was covered a lot in white dwarf people doing their own crazy character conversions and you know heroes that would be existing on in both 40k and warhammer fantasy and had massive Mm. chariots and all kinds of all kinds of crazy stuff but i wanted to try and do that that kind of thing what if i was in the mid 90s and i wanted this character what parts could i use and try and limit myself to just using whatever you know materials were available at the time so of course I used the most in, well he had to be in Terminator armor because he's you know, first company commander. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to pick the most intimidating power, you know, Terminator armored figure, which was of course Abaddon at the time. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Uh, but obviously Abaddon's got quite a lot of chaosy bits, so I had to take all the chaosy bits off of Abaddon. He's um, a bit spiky, yes. Which you know took a little while of filing and and cleaning up. And then re-sculpting on a bunch of imperial symbols over the top, and yeah, I, I, that that was kind of a fun project. Um, I, I think it came out quite nicely, if I do say so myself. It did. It came out fantastically. Yeah. And I kind of uh, had this weird Google moment where I was kind of I was trying to find some inspiration, see if anyone had done any art of Mordecai Blaylock. So just kind of um, typed that name into to Google. And got a load of American sports people from with similar names. No oh, right, um, including some African American American football players. Um, so that was the choice to paint his skin tone as you know someone with a, a as a person of color with dark skin. Entirely kind of inspired by a Google accident. Well, there you go. That's well. a happy accident because it looks fantastic. And, you know, I think it looks pretty nice, you know, with him, with his, you know, very bright uh, second edition style power armor and having a, if if he'd been quite a bone-faced chap, I think he would have got a bit lost in it. Whereas, you know, having the dark skin tone actually, I think, really draws you to look at his face, which is, uh, you know, should be the focal point for any miniature. I think you're right. I think that's a very good point. And yes, I think, uh, well, it, it turned out lovely. And yes, I should explain to listeners, um, I did a while ago have this idea of doing a monthly competition on uh, heresyandheroes.com where I would invite a guest to uh, either paint a loyalist uh, hero or a heretic, heresy, and it was heresy versus hero. Uh, and I only ever did two, and uh, Bobby is fifty percent of that. So um, thank you for doing that. And uh, you're quite welcome. 
I might I might revive it at some point in the future, but it's it's um it can be a bit time consuming, especially at that point. There seemed to be a lot of stuff coming out that I was desperate to paint. Um, not that I ever got around to painting it. I think I bought it and um, you know, it's still sat in its plastic wrappers and um but yes, yeah, it was it's it was, it's an interesting idea for a format and I think that there's definitely something there with having someone on and ha- having different people every month or however often you're running it. It could be interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think it could. Um, yeah, it, it will. It will be now. Anyway, this isn't about me and my blog. This is about you. Um, oh, we got to plug the blog though. The blog's good. Well, yeah, I, I get that in, in the intro though. You know, I just I plug it whenever I get a chance. Um, but no, this is about you, and um, we're going to move on to your next uh, miniature now. Uh, you're going to say the name because I'm I may get it wrong. Uh, my Latin pronunciation, or low Gothic, or high Gothic, or whatever it's supposed to be, um, isn't as good. But tell me about your Warlord Titan. Ah, yes, Orion Matrisue. My Latin pronunciation is probably really bad, but I think. We're probably allowed a little bit of a consonant and a vowel drift in, you know, thirty thousand years, forty thousand years. Yeah, uh, I so. yeah, I think I think we're safe. So yeah, this was kind of a, a spur of the moment model almost. I'd been looking at Titanicus for quite a while. The game had been out for a good few years by the time I bought um, this model. Yeah. yeah. But some friends were getting really into big fighty robots and it was, looked really good fun. And again, I wanted to try out some different painting techniques because there are a few on this that are a little bit different to my usual. I use quite a lot of stippling on the armor panels and mm. sort of stipples and then stippling it and then putting glazes over and then stippling again with different colors to get all kinds of interesting modulation in, in, the, in the armor panels, yeah, which I think really that. helps show scale having that kind of like un unevenness in yeah. the paint job yeah, yeah definitely um so yeah it was it was kind of one of those ah, oh, i've got to do that now i've got the I ha- again i had the inspiration um and i kind of went and looked at the the original the first edition titanicus um color schemes for the uh legio Griffonicus, which is the the legio i've i painted them as yeah who are kind of the ultramarines of the Legios, if we're honest. You like painting the stuff on the box, I get it. And then Legio Graphonicus gets gets a lot of um, photo time. Yeah, and they are kind of the 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 best good guys uh, <laughs> of the Legios. The most Legio Legio. <laughs> Why did you, I mean, because you've done more Titans than just your uh, Warlord. Why, why did you particularly like the warlord um i think it's mostly for the basing because the base of the warlord is so huge you've got so much room to to do something with it and i know quite a few people just kind of texture paint or some rubble Uh, i really want to tell a story on the base of the titan so there's a little uh trench running kind of between the legs of the titan yeah and in the trench there's the the it took me forever to decide whether I wanted to do this or not because it's kind of a bit brutal. There's a bunch of dead space marines and dead uh, Imperial Army guys littering this trench. 
and then there's kind of a squad of imperial fists walking along behind the titan just kind of clearing up this mess and it was kind of i had second thoughts whether i wanted to actually depict something i know fictional but kind of quite horrific battles are not nice and um it, yeah it took me a little while to to come to the decision that i did want to do i wanted to show that on a on a miniature yeah nice i mean I, the, the base looks fantastic absolutely um what a, when it comes to switching from uh obviously you i know you paint a lot of different things yourself but switching from a a heroic scale or whatever we're calling the Warhammer 40,000 scale these days um, to painting um, and effectively epic scale. What sort of challenges did you find in that? Well, obviously, especially with the Warlord Titan, there's so much detail on that. If you wanted to, you could go in and, you know, edge highlight every single bit of the skeleton and really go to town with it. Mm. I didn't do that. I went yeah. for the, the the cheaty route of, spraying it all a metallic color to start with and to use a lot of washes and dry brushes which are kind of my my mainstay techniques for almost any piece of painting is is washes and dry brushes because i am definitely an army painter rather than a, a display painter i would say um but it's more about getting an impression trying to get that feel of uh, the detail, like the Imperial Fist guys on the base. I didn't pe- try and paint an Imperial Fist symbol on the, the shoulder pads because that would have been far too small. But I did a, a white dot with a kind of squarish block on it. And from the distance you're viewing it on a table, they're instantly recognizable as Imperial Fist because they have a white and black chapter symbol on a on a yellow marine. That's got to be Imperial Fists. Of course, yeah. So I think that's part of the the, the challenge is, is how do you put on enough detail to kind of trick the eye where you're not looking? Because obviously you're mostly looking at the Titan, but you notice the details. Yeah. But without, you know, making the de- having to do the extra work, it's how much work, you're trying to get away with the minimum amount of work rather than the maximum amount of work. Absolutely. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, whilst also making it look painted. I think that's that's always been kind of my my goal is how can I get everything painted to look as good as it possibly can, but keeping the amount of time I spend painting to the minimum. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, that's a fine way, especially with the amount of armies you have to maintain and uh, game systems you get through. Um, I think that's a perfectly acceptable way of doing it. Um and are, do you enjoy playing the game of Tiny Titan? I have really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's really good fun. I think it it kind of has the, the inherent balance of everyone having access to exactly the same units, which I think really helps. Yeah. Unlike, you know, 40K where there's thousands of different units and every army only gets a certain subset of those units which is a nightmare to balance. I don't know how they managed to do anything with it. I, I still enjoy playing 40k, but yeah, it it does have its issues compared to to games where it's less of an issue, less of a problem because there's less units. Even something like Warcry um, or uh, Underworlds, which I played recently, 
Um, there's quite a few different underworld gangs, but they only have you know th- three to five figures. So yeah. it's a lot less to get balanced than hundreds and hundreds of different army entries that can all interact in weird ways. Uh, yeah, very true. Very well put. And uh, yes, yeah, so I think uh, from what I hear tell, it is uh, a much better balanced game uh, than a lot of the things out there at the moment. Um, but let's go on to another game that you just mentioned there and another set of miniatures and they're a favourite of mine that I have not yet dared to paint because I, I want to do something fancy with them, but um, it's finding the time and uh, confidence to do so. Um, tell me about your Crimson Court for Warhammer Underworlds. So, yeah, Crimson Court. Um, this is from the second season of uh, Tale of Four Gamers that I do with Ian, Russ and Gary uh, on Ian's channel. Uh, yeah. after Ian on YouTube let's get a plug in there um, well <laughs> uh, first one we did was uh, Old Hammer Warhammer Fantasy Battle Armies I nearly included something from that army in this list but I couldn't oh, quite so pick well, a, I couldn't quite pick a single figure from that army to to really exemplify it because it again was it was a lot of figures painted very quickly rather than one really nice looking figure but obviously the Crimson Court is just four figures. And I really, again, focused in on how can I make these look really cool, really different. And because, it, again, because it was four figures, I actually slowed myself down intentionally, didn't try to speed paint these. So I went in and actually did the, the layering up of the highlights and, and you know, really trying to make them look good. Uh, nice. I, I, I was kind of forced into some, some conversion work uh, because I'd already stolen the head of one of the figures for a different conversion. Right. So I had to f- fix her up a little bit um, <laughs> with some parts from... Was it the one with the hair that everyone... Yeah, likes yes. yes. The, the, the big hair, which I stole for a, a version of Neferata that I still haven't got around to finishing and painting. Uh, we look forward to seeing that. Yeah, I... I so I did a little light conversion work, but most of it was in trying to paint them a little bit different. I went for a nice sea green armor rather than painting them red because I knew I wanted to do blood splatter on them and blood splatter on red armor kind of, it doesn't read very well. You lose so, it, yes. So yeah, I went for for the green armor because I thought it would give a good contrast with uh, the red blood splatter. And I knew I wanted to do sort of pinkish color fabrics and that that almost works as, as um, and, and I did kind of brassy details. So that's kind of a color triad. Again, I'm, yeah. I, I try and do these sort of things, but uh, it, yeah, it, I don't, I'm not a slave to color wheel. I just try and use it as a bit of a, uh, a helping hand now and then. Well, that's what it should be. Yes. It shouldn't dictate how you paint something, but it can certainly give you plenty of nice ideas. With this, because you're doing it for uh, Tale of Four Warlords, are you doing more Underworlds gangs or not their war bands? Um, or are you sort of doing a campaign of games or what's, what's the idea behind it? So the idea behind it is that we do a slow grow, you know, painting, at least for, for the first season, it was slow grow over six months building up you know, a, a decent sized Warhammer fantasy army. And then we went to a campaign and again with Underworlds, obviously it wasn't so much a slow grow because 
it's only a few miniatures. So we yeah. just over, I think that was only a couple of months. We painted them up and then uh, came down to Warhammer World and played play some games. Uh, uh, Nick Baton was happy enough to put on some games of Underworlds for us. Um, he usually is, yeah. Yeah, he, 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 he seemed to have that quite uh, down. He had spreadsheets and everything already. And we have just started the third season of Tale of Four Gamers where we were doing the Horus Heresy box and again doing a slow grow, hopefully over about six months to build full armies from nothing to, you know, 2,000-ish points for that. And then again, we'll be having a, a tournament of some description at the end. Nice. And obviously we do keep these armies and keep playing with them. I know, I know uh, Russ in particular has played with his, uh, his fantasy army a bunch after completing it. Because these are all, we kind of have a conversation, try and find something that we all want to do. And how, you know, so passion projects as well as kind of being for the, for the show, if yeah. that makes sense. No, it makes sense, of course, yes. It's... Uh... Well, no, I, I certainly watched the first one. I haven't seen any of the Underworlds uh, stuff yet, but I'm definitely looking forward to the Horus Heresy stuff. And uh, and you're, you've gone for Imperial Fist, haven't you? I have indeed, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, again, it was the novels that got me there. Um, in, this time it was Siege of Terror, so it's not any one particular author to be blamed. But, um, yeah, Dawn in, in the Siege of Terror, obviously we haven't got to the end, so no spoilers, please, on how the Siege of Terror ends. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wonder what will happen. Uh, yeah. But, but the way Dawn's portrayed in those is, is pretty good. I mean, he's, he's not a particularly good dad to, to some, of his, some of his sons, but no. um, he, he, he's trying his best. He's having a hard time at work. Yes, yes, and um, is is plenty grumpy with it, but quite good at um, dishing out the the punishments to those who yeah. break his, who knock his blocks over. Um, and, and he does. It's it's really interesting because all the primarchs are already always shown as these kind of infallible, untouchable super beings, mm-hmm. but through the siege, book after book. Dawn just starts getting really tired, which is just not something you expect to see from a Primarch. Mm. I found really interesting. It's an interesting aspect to his character. Is that he's actually quite flawed. I mean, not quite as flawed as some of the, the um, Primarchs, but it, no. he's, he's quite human for a Primarch. Yes, yes. I think you're right. He... he... Probably, I know each of them is supposed to have an aspect of the emperor about them, and he probably got a bit of more of the humanity. Um, well, you know, and Sanguinius, who's obviously a saint and is is friends to everyone. Um, I wonder what happens to him. Um, anyway, uh, that's uh, your horror series stuff. So now we're going to talk about uh, one of your latest projects, um, which is a rogue trader era predator battle tank. How's that going? Yeah. So this was one that I wanted to include because, again, it's it's all about the improving of skills. The paint job is it's all right. I'm looking at it out the corner of my eye at the moment. It looks okay from this distance. And what I've got some uh, Nova Marines, of course. Yeah. So it's it's again for that that old hammer. I've been slowly building an old hammer Nova Marines army. Um, so I can play Bad Ab War, which is a bit of an odd combination to do second edition Bad Ab War. But 
I have friends that are also interested in this, so uh, that we're kind of enabling each other. Good, good. Um, but the reason I wanted to include it was because it's one of the first miniatures that I've painted entire. Well, that got the main colours on with an airbrush. Uh, it's a okay. new, it's a new thing for me using an airbrush. Um, I've bought one recently, and it is pretty revolutionary for my style of painting. Yeah. Because again, if for, for painting a lot of stuff quickly, be able to put on base colours and things like that and not be limited to what you can get from an aerosol. You can pick, you know, I want to paint it that yellow and you can get that yellow and spray it through your airbrush and then have exactly the same color to do touch-ups with a brush um, because aerosol paints are never quite the same shade as the brush paints. I know, no, I, know I know companies really try, but it's never quite exactly the same. No, not quite. So uh, I found that out when I was um, I bought some Mephiston Red spray to help me paint my Blood Angels army uh, a few years ago, and touching that up, you suddenly discover ah, not the same colour. Uh, yeah, and and then you're trying to mix the shade very slightly in from the pot to. I know there's there are other tricks like you can spray some of the aerosol spray into a little cup and then use that. Yeah, the the aerosol cooks off, but you still have the liquid paint, and you can paint with that. But when you're trying to do touch-ups on on miniatures, uh, frequently that's not no. it's not really a good way of doing it. No, I just lent into the battle damage uh, after a while, and uh, that, that's how, how I fixed that problem. But that's great. So you've got you've got an airbrush. Um, in fact, I can see viewers. I think I can see your setup behind you. Um, uh, I mean, this this is this is my regular paint setup. Yeah. Uh, the airbrush is is in another room because. Um, yeah, right. Okay. It's, yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I kind of kind of do the airbrushing in a different area just to keep the. I mean, I, I obviously have a an extractor and I wear a mask and stuff. Whereas this is kind of like, I don't want the air particles in in with all my already painted things. It's um, a good plan. Sensible plan, indeed. It's, um, yeah, and I mean, you, you obviously have a, um, going back to the, the Predator, um, which is still, I think, one of the coolest looking tanks ever made. Um, well, and it looks like we will be getting a new version of it in plastic again soon, which is, yes. is nice. Yes, yep, very happy about that. Um, I'm even perfectly happy about the sort of floaty Predators that aren't called Predators that modern Primaris get as well. Um, they're, they're perfectly fine. Um and actually, painting the tank tracks was always one of the most boring bits about painting the Predator. So yeah, yeah, just it, skipping the tank tracks entirely, and just I mean, I always have a problem with painting tanks, or have up until this point, because they're just they take so long. They if do. You're painting a tank entirely with a brush. It's not yeah. fun. No, it's not. It's um, it's it's an experience. Um, but anyway, you, you had this enjoyment of old miniatures. Um, how do you think they sort of stack up? I mean, what's what is different between going out and getting a a bit of old hammer, an old hammer space rain? I mean, obviously there is a difference in the material and the quality and uh, you know the experience in the designers' hands that have gone into it. But wh why do you think we? And I do it as well. Why do you think we have? that affection for those old things when 
when maybe they don't stack up visually or do you think- I, I think I think some of it's nostalgia I, yeah. I do think which is one of the reasons why I collect kind of the the year I do I don't collect a lot of the early like the eight, late 80s early 90s stuff I'm not so interested in because that was kind of been and gone by the time I started on in the hobby I'm kind of like mid 90s to early 2000s is kind of the era of nostalgia for me because it's where I started yeah um I do think some of the sculpts are still perfectly usable there are many many figures that I think hold up really really well the main problem is that they're a lot smaller than modern figures because the scale creep is definitely a thing that, that Games Workshop suffers from. Things are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which yeah. with as my eyesight's getting worse and worse and worse through time, I'm absolutely fine with the details getting bigger. That's not a problem for me. Yeah. But I think some of it's character. The new models are very, very consistent and that can look really good. But it does lose a little bit of some, it's something a little bit intangible when you have, you know, a, a line of, of 20 or 30 space screens where every single one's been hand sculpted. They're all a little bit kind of off model because yeah. they have to be for their arms to be post, posed how they are to look cool. And, you know, they all have, a unique face sculpt because you know so many of the old figures don't have helmets on and they all look you know this marine is this marine's and he's the only one with that head because it was only sculpted onto that figure i think that's part of it that's one of the reasons i liked a lot of the undead stuff is because um it's all very unique all of the sculpts are kind of one-offs rather than an army of very, very similar figures. I say similar is not always bad. It can look really cool to have an army where everything's very regular and regimented, yeah. but yeah. you do lose a bit of the, the character, I think is the best word I can come up for. I think it's a good word. I think you're right. It is, is um, there, there was a bit of um, passionate amateur, I think I've said before about those, those old miniatures and um yes i i'm a big fan of them as well of course but uh i, I just think it's I, kind of the the double-edged sword of of things like digital sculpting digital sculpting must be great for the sculptors because you know you can especially for like a space marine you can design the arm armor put it on a poseable armature digitally and you know pose out a bunch of models and then you've d- not sculpted six different space marines you sculpted one space marine and posed yeah. it six ways um rather than before where they'd have to sculpt every single piece yeah yeah i think you're right i think you're right it's um yes what a time to be in the hobby where we not only have access to high quality miniatures of today but also those wonderful characterful old uh chaps and chapesses of and there are still plenty of people sculpting in classic ways the the other manufacturers are available yes yes i know well this is i was going to ask you about that because uh you have picked a very um warhammery list but like i was saying i know you enjoy a lot of other hobbies go on have a bonus one tell me about one of your non-gw minis that uh you particularly like Oh, that's that's put me on the spot. Hmm. 
Yes, this is unfair. It's cruel to just throw a question like that at you, but you've done so much. It's uh, You must have one that you're particularly fond of. Oh, um, hmm. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, through the magic of editing, uh, Bobby and I will now pretend that I didn't just throw a question at her completely out of the blue um, and that she hasn't spent the last five minutes uh, scrambling to remember uh, the name of uh, a very nice model um, that uh, Bobby was not prepared to talk about. Um, but now now you are, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I do quite a lot of historical stuff as well as Games Workshop, um, which is where this is. It's a Second World War battleship from the Italian Navy, uh, the Vittorio Ven- Veneto, yeah. uh, which is one of their bigger battleships, which is a really ancient model. It's a old single piece of lead. Uh, the sculpt's from 1977 by a company called Davco, but they're still in production today. Um, so it's kind of old, old hammer, pre- predating the, the invention of the wheel almost. <laughs> well, yes, it is. Well, I mean... Yes, and it's very pretty. I've actually I've, I've been looking at a picture of it on the internet, um, not of yours, but of uh, I found one uh, on the Google machine. Um, but I'm sure yours is available somewhere. Uh, um, yeah, I definitely posted some pictures of it on on my Twitter feed at, at some point, at least. Um, but yeah, it's just a really striking color scheme because it has these uh, red and white stripes on before and aft decks uh which is just for like um aerial uh recognition stuff so they don't end up torpedoing their own ships uh, which did happen in world war ii uh, a little bit yes yes um yeah all right well good well thank you for um scrambling to uh recollect one of your non-gw pieces that you well i i have so many i have a bunch of gw stuff but it's really hard to think of a thing on the spot and yeah, that was just because of the the bright coloration i thought oh well that that would be the one yeah and it was it was cruel of me to uh throw a uh, a door-stopping question like that at you um, especially as i'd already i'd prepped thought about i i'd been listening to the podcast and i thought about the questions you ask at the end of the episode and i was like, i've got answers i've got good answers for those and you threw a curveball by asking me a different question right near the end i know i'm sorry well let's get to those uh ones that you are well prepared for uh well we, the two questions that i ask all of my guests on my life in miniatures uh, what's your favourite paint? Well, despite the fact that I had prepared for this question in advance, I don't have one paint as the answer. Right. Um, the paint I use the most on things is definitely Agrax Earthshade. It ends up on like 90% of my miniatures. And I think a lot of people who do similar style to me, it's a bit of a crutch. It's liquid talent. Yes, it's a great paint for that. Definitely. And, you know, you can thin it down and just sneak it into all sorts of other colours as a sneaky little extra bit of shading. Yeah, this is true. This is true. So, I mean, did you have another option alongside Agrax Earthshade? I did. It's kind of one of those colours that I hadn't, you know, it's, it'd been sat on the shelves for ages and I never bought one. And then I bought a pot and I was like, why haven't I bought this before? It's a really good paint. And that's Retributor Gold. Uh, I, I'd been struggling along with some kind of quite crappy gold metallic paints and gold is not a color that 
does well with acrylic medium. I, it's yeah. very hard, I think, to actually get them to work the the gold flakes to work well in that medium. Right, um, right. But retributo armor, you can put that on almost any color, and it still comes out looking like really nice gold. Nice. Well, that's good. We'll we'll let you have those two. You get that as I um, shot that unexpected question at you, so you can have two. Um, and then the final question: um, If you could paint any miniature next it could be one that exists in your head alone it could be on the shelves of a store right now or it could be something that's rumored what would you like to paint next well i i did sort of think of some things that i could come up with that fantasy ideas but uh, i'm gonna stick with a miniature that actually exists this time okay. right. um and it's a miniature that I'm probably going to end up painting at some point in the near future. And that is Dawn. I, I, I really want to paint that model of Dawn. And uh, yeah, the, probably using Retributor Armour and Agrax Shade, if I'm honest. Nice. Well, it's a good combo. He'll look splendid in both of those. Um, well, we thank you very much for t taking us through your life in miniatures. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, thank you very much for inviting me. I, I do appreciate being on uh, especially with some absolutely stonking guests you've had this season you've had some very very talented painters and I'm not sure why you invited me on because I'm, my painting's all right but it's not uh, it's not going to win a slayer sword anytime soon but uh, I do appreciate you that you've included a range of painters in your in your podcast yes it would be boring if we just heard from one type of person all the time I think so I'm uh, more than happy to have you on but also I have never invited anyone onto the show that I didn't like. And, you know, obviously you're a, a very lovely person and we like that and we reward that here by having people like yourself on the podcast. Um, so thank you again uh, and have a lovely rest of your day. And same to you. Well, there you have it. That was my conversation with Bobby. And uh, A, uh, first thing I want to say is what a good sport because I genuinely did. Uh, she had no idea I was going to ask her about something random from her, the many game systems that Bobby um, likes to play around with. Um, and I knew about that ship and it is a really cool little ship. And um, if, you're, if you're into your old historicals, uh, I, it's worth going and checking that out. Uh, just a reminder that you can follow Bobby on Twitter uh, at Violet Sun Props, uh, and I would very much recommend giving her a follow on YouTube by going to Violet Sun. That is V I O L E T S U N, um, and check out again some of the stuff she's been doing with Arbiterian over on his channel as well. Um, there you go. That was uh, that was that episode. And I think it went quite well. I hope you've had fun. I hope you've been enjoying uh, some nice hobby while we've been having a chat. Um, it's been really fun for me. Because um, I get to, like, obviously, I listen to all of this while I'm editing it. And it's been really fun to listen to that conversation again. Um, you may well have seen Bobby and I at Warham World playing various Space Marines versus Space Marines games. Because um, she's one of my favourite opponents. Um, and has lots of wonderful armies and I'm really excited about the Nova Marines project because it's all all old stuff that takes me back to, to me being a kid um yeah as for next episode um I'm hoping it's going to be up next weekend we might have to do another one week break um purely because 
there's sort of been a, a minor curse on my upcoming guests, and uh, we're we're a little behind schedule. But it's I'm hoping next weekend will be it will be all fine to get another episode out. But uh, as I said, no promises, not from me anyway. Um, yeah, I'm now looking forward to getting back to my my little secret projects that I mentioned in the intro. Um, I hope your projects are all fun and that you're doing something you like to do and um, have a lovely week ahead and I will catch you next time, hopefully uh, next week, but possibly the week after with episode seven of season two of My Life in Miniatures, which I should remind you, if you just stumbled across this today, uh, you can hear this on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Audible, on Amazon stuff, uh, and loads of other places, including some I've never heard of, but it comes up in the analytics for this show. Uh, so do remember to you know bookmark uh, the series, and uh, whenever there's a new episode, it'll appear at the top of your queue. Um, but yeah, enough waffle from me. Go and enjoy yourself, have a great time, and we will speak again soon. Ta-ra! Mm-hmm.